Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday. Ooh, the day before Shabbos Agal, I spent all morning working on writing up a Shabbos Agal speech for tomorrow. It's a three-hour marathon, so I took up a lot of my time. But now that I'm finished, I have to think about the Parsha of the week even though my head's totally not there. And this, of course, in Mitzorah this week, right? So we're looking at Tazri and Mitzorah's leprosy, as we usually uh, describe it. And typically we all say, Tzorah's leprosy is because of Lashon Har. It's very common. And that's based on the fact of the Miriam story, correct? The Miriam spoke against Moshe, we're told. And then she got leprosy. So therefore you see leprosy from, 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 from as a result of, of Lashon Har. However, it's not exactly exclusively that. Everybody knows there are other stories in the Tanakh, which have nothing to do with Lashon Hara, and they also got Taras anyway. Uh, that comes to mind, for example, the story of Gehazi, you know, the secretary disciple of Elisha, who that was more like cheating or stealing when he took the money from Naaman, he got leprosy, lying perhaps, and nothing to do with Lashon Hara. Uh, there are other cases as well, and I remember even there's a medrash somewhere, maybe in this week's parsha that says there are like six or eight reasons for Taras. Somehow that medrash doesn't get a lot of play. We're all concentrating on the Lush and Hara side, which is okay, but I'm just saying it's, it's what you call a necessary but not sufficient answer. It's not done to roll the phenomena. And this leads me, as I'm sitting here, to think about one of the most interesting cases and obscure of the leprosy of Taras, and that, of course, is the case of King Uziahu of Yehuda. And not everybody knows what I'm talking about because this is in the book called Dere Yomim. And that's in the Ksuvim. And that's usually not studied in the schools, even the Beis and all that. Usually you do Yoshua and Shoftim and Shmuel and Malachim, which is good. My Dere Yomim supplements Malachim. And it tells you a lot more about the kings of Yehuda. And that's usually, like, ignored. It's very interesting to me. Anyway, uh, but the Art Scroll did it with Rabbi Eisman, a very long uh, kind of business in his style. Now, uh, the story basically is, maybe you've heard it, that this is a time when the Jewish people divided into two kingdoms after the death of Shlomo, they split ten tribes and two tribes, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. The one in the north is called the kingdom of Israel. The one in the south is called King of Yehuda. That's a long whole story by itself. And really, 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 it's not exactly ten and two, but we'll go with that for the moment. And uh, they're characterized, uh, all these kings, <laughs> Were bad news, or uh, the, the vast majority of them. Uh, after Shlomo died, we're not going to touch Shlomo here. He's after Shlomo died, so then it's split into two halves. And there's 20 in the north, 20 kings in the north, 20 in the south. Every one of the kings in the north, with that exception, was idol worshiper, the Eagle Azov, or maybe more than the Eagle Azov. In addition, they go to Baal and Asherah and Moloch and who knows what else. So don't give me this business that somebody lived long ago just because he lived long ago as a tzaddik. That's ridiculous. These guys were bad news. And even the king of the south, you could, for most part, it's like 50-50. It's not really 50. It's probably more like 20-80 or 30-70. Most of the kings were either wicked or losers. Uh, and again, that's not me talking. 
You can look at them in the Gemara. Uh, I would remind you, the Mishnah says there are like three and maybe four kings that are going straight to hell. You've got to be pretty bad to get into that category. These are kings of Israel bold. And the vast majority of them were bad, bad, bad. Some were good in the south, some. And some were like in the middle, gray area, semi-good, semi-losers. And I'm thinking specifically of two famous kings of Yehuda. This is the Malchus-based Dovin I'm talking about. You know, this is the better half. Uh, you have Osa, and then you have Uziah. And they're both kings of the Yehuda. And they were, as, as, as I would put it, they're good for eight out of nine innings. For most of their lives and their reigns, they were from and then each one for a different reason. Later in life, they switched and became not from, which is kind of weird. Usually, you get more religious the older you get. Here's the opposite. And I'm going to leave the story of Asa alone, but Uziah, it's just an interesting person, know very little about him, except he got leprosy. More specifically, you, you, I know you're, you're laughing and saying, well, what does he mean by losers and all the rest of it? Uziah was the king of Yehuda after his father was assassinated. So his father was such a bad king, he was assassinated by Frumis. And his father before him, Yoash, was assassinated by Frumis. And his father before him was assassinated, Sachazia, by Yehu, knows that the command of God. So, uh, and hit, and that guy's mother was the daughter of Achav and Jezebel, Izevel. Knows his mother was a wicked person. We could even have a discussion on whether he was technically Jewish or not, but we're not going to go there today. So this is what you're dealing with. It's not what you imagine. You know, it's like a Rosh Hashiva somewhere. It wasn't, wasn't like that at all. And even if you say the sins of the kings are exaggerated to some degree, uh, it's not so easy to do that when you go through you know, the details with which the Torah fur, fur, furnishes us the information. And uh, so in other words, all these people, when I call them losers, they weren't super wicked. That came later in, in Jewish history. The later kings were super wicked. That's what the Mishnah says. But the ones who formed, they weren't super wicked. They were just losers. Now, I'll give you an example. The father of Uziel was Amatia. Amatia fought a war against Edom just because he decided to do so for no reason. And then he took the POWs and pushed them off a cliff as a wartime atrocity, which the Gemara condemns, by the way. And then after that, he took the idols of Edom and started worshiping them. Whereupon a Navi came to him and said, what kind of idiot are you? Basically, if, if they won, okay, so you might think their God is more strong than you. I could at least make some logic. But you beat them. So if their gods were weaker than yours, why would you worship them? So you see what I mean? They're bad news. So this guy was a, a matzah was assassinated by from Jews. And then it says that the assassins ran away and the public put the crown prince on the throne, 16 years old, the son of a matzah, and that's Uziah, who was king for 52 years. That's a long time. And if you know how to triangulate different stories in different places in Tanakh, Yishayel and elsewhere, you'll know that the country went through a, like a triple whammy. First they had a terrible earthquake, which destroyed everything. And then they had like a locust plague of all locust plagues. That's in the book of Yoel. And then the Gemara talks about Amagefa. No, they went through what we would say a succession of natural disasters, meaning God was whacking them over the head. But this new prince, this new king, little by little, got his act together and pulled him out of it and devoted himself, it's in Dereon, to rebuilding the economy and the agriculture that was a famous song when I was a kid. He really worked on the infrastructure, the roads, the, 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 the fields, the agriculture, the wells. These are all good things, okay? These are all good things. 
And uh, in addition to this, he wasn't an idol worshiper. He didn't do like the others. That's pretty good. How come he's different than his father, than his grandfather, his great-grandfather once before him? How come he was different? It's very fascinating. If you look in, in, in Divriyam over there, I forget which chapter it is, it says something along the lines that when he was young, uh, see, he encountered a, a Kiruv professional, as we would say over here. He met this guy named Zechariah. We, we don't know who that is. That was NCSY leader at that time. Which means that he met a guy who was Maven Barosalohim. He was he used Tavuna, Bina. Uh, he was he was uh, discerning in Yiras Shemayim. That is to say, like this, he was an intelligent Kirov person. I mean this in a good way, not in a bad way, not in a cynical way. He's an intelligent person who was able to convince the king that it's better to get on the derech than go off the derech. And for many years, uh, Uziah followed this policy, and therefore, unlike his predecessors, there were no idols. And consequently, the kingdom uh, prospered. It took him a while, I'm sure, but he rebuilt the army, he rebuilt the agriculture, he rebuilt the economy, the population started to grow again, everything was going the right direction, and there was no idols, it was just a base on Migdosh, it's just, you know, the uh, car- regular carbonus. Everything's going good. And then, it says something along the after describing his great power and his military victories and things like that, which he did have. It's, hey, by the way, he set up a defense department. You think I'm kidding. You look it up. He mentions the Secretary of Defense over there. It's quite remarkable. Anyway, uh, then it says that he started to get too haughty. And then he did something that's totally weird. He went into base of Migdash. He says, I'm taking over and I'm doing the Katoris. When he tried to do Katoris, he got hit with leprosy and he remained that way for the rest of his life. So he never recovered and therefore he was automatically, you say, Ice King. <laughs> he wasn't He wasn't uh, on the throne anymore and they had to find somebody else. He had a son, so the, the son took over as a regent. So the question we call it is, that's not Loshan Hara. He got leprosy. He had nothing to do with Loshan Hara. Uh, w- w- why would he do this? The, it says the Kohanim told him Stay away. This is not for you. You have your job. You're the king. That's a full-time business. We are Kohanim. We have a full-time job of ourselves. And one of them is to do the Katoris and the Avon and the base of stuff. So why are you crossing the boundaries? Like you'd say in America, why aren't you adhering to the separation of powers? But he didn't do it. He got real angry at them, it says. And so next thing you know, he was hit with a terrible leprosy and he never recovered, like I say. I mean, he stayed in this condition for many years till he died in a in a base of Hushi or something like that. In other words, in a quarantine house. You know, not everybody gets saras, it recovers. Today's parsha, parsha Mitzorah, is all about how do you go about being metahir once you have recovered. You know, once the symptoms go away, there's a whole elaborate ritual. Zostia Torah Samitzorah, Biyom Taharaso. First, you got to, you know, make sure that the illness or the spiritual illness, whatever you call it, went away. And once you ascertain that, then there's a whole bunch of carbonates and things like that you got to do. Uh, but in his case, it never went away. So, I'm simply raising the question that he will look at Parshat Mitzvah. What? Why did this king, this enigmatic figure, want to so get involved and perform the Katoris to the point that he became maniacal about it uh, until God hit him over the head with leprosy, and then he was compelled by force majeure to to withdraw. And uh, herein lies a tale. This is just my opinion. It lies a tale. Because Uziahu was a king in what they call the Silver Age, which means that the Jews 
in the time of the kings usually were in bad shape. They're invaded by others. They had civil wars, all kind of jungles going on. Read the book of Malachim, read the Rayom, you'll see. When a great time. And then, at a certain point, a successful king in the south, and at the same time a successful king in the north emerged, and at least they beat back the Goyim. The south was Uziyahu, and the north, his contemporary, the king of the north was Yeram II, Yeram Mashani, Yeram ben Yoash. And Yeram ben Yoash is considered the best of the worst. That's the Chazal say in uh, Psachim, that uh, you know, Yeram ben Yoash was the best of the worst. He, as a matter of fact, I would say this. It says specifically, he did not listen to Allah Shahara. Uh, almost was the prophet at that time, and almost predicted the downfall of the dynasty, and people told him to him, and the king said, I don't want to listen to Lashon If he's a Navi, he's just telling what he's told to say, leave him alone. Which is the rejection of Lashon It's pretty good. That's why they say he's the best of the of, of, of North. But he was an idol worshiper. He had the Eglats of, which is some form of idolatry, and who knows what else. So you had two successful kings at the same time. And Uzio pretty much conquered Edom and the Philistines and things like this. And Yeruvim II conquered a good deal of Syria, if you look up there. The Navi at the time of Yom II, who encouraged him all this, is our friend Yonah, <laughs> the, the book of Jonah, which is uh, important to understand the book of Yonah, but I'm not going to go there right now, I don't have any time. Uh, but it's very interesting. And excuse me. And so Yonah uh, was encouraging the king to conquer Syria, which he did, conquer a big part of Syria. And then the other time, Uziel was conquering the south. So the Jews were rocking during this period. For a time, they weren't being invaded by others, but the opposite. And then this guy wants to go and do the Ketoris. So what's what, what's happening? Do you see where I'm going with this? Seems to me that Uziah acted on the following set of uh, ideas. He did his part to rebuild the South, and he certainly did. And he was a from guy. That's what the puzzle tells you. Uh, he sought the Lord, as it says, and he rejected the idols. So it must have bothered him. How come the Jews can't get together and unite in one kingdom? Uh, being from Malchus B. Stubbard, I'm sure in his mind it was obvious. Why can't, since I did everything right, so it's not enough that I should defeat the enemies, why can't Hashem restore the Malchus B. Stubbard, the united Jewish people? Do you understand what I'm talking about? We've been around for 3,300 years. We're about to do Pesach, something like 3,300 years ago. Birth of the Jewish people. During that entire time, we Jews who are so uh, scrappy and impossible to get together in some kind of unity, We've had national unity. We were all the Jews in one country for about one century out of 33 centuries. That's pretty bad. I'm talking about Shaul and David and Shlomo. But the rest of the time, not. And so it became the ideal. Can't you unite all the tribes together? And Uziah was the kind of guy you'd think who could do it. But it wasn't happening. But remember, I told you he was a from guy, the guy, the Kirov guy turned him on. And so what I think, this is my hunch, what I think happened was, he said, listen, if the Jewish religion is the real thing, if the base and and the Karbonus are the way to go, as opposed to the Baal, the Asherah, and the Karbonus for the Egozov, and the other thing, if it's really base and Migdash, so how come the Karbonus not doing the trick to bring about events which will unite the Jewish people? And of all the ceremonies that we have in the base and Migdash, which is the one that symbolizes more powerfully than any other the attempt to hold together the disparate elements of the Jewish people, and of course, is the Keturahs. That's the whole point of the Keturahs. The good spice, the bad spice, this, that, and the other. If you mix it together in the right way, it comes out good. You, we've all heard that a hundred times. Uh, but it wasn't happening, was it? 
here he conquers this country, he defeats that enemy, he gets this much wealth, he builds up this uh, part of the economy, he, uh, this is, you know, set up a whole uh, vine industry, all the rest of it, of his gatenish with the north, you know, the, the, the Jews can't can get together and, and unite. And I can only imagine that he must have said like this, step aside, let me do it. Right? You don't have the right kavanah, honestly would say to Kohanim. Who knows? Uh, let me do it. If I'll do the Katoris, I'll do it in such a way that I'll storm heaven and God will then cause events to transpire and, you know, the, the, the northern tribes will come to me and we'll get unity back the way they were. They'll all go back in the Malchus based of it and we'll, we'll be able to restore the good old unity of the Jewish people. Now, of course, he wasn't qualified. He's not a Kohen and therefore he can't do it. So he thought he knew what he's doing, but he didn't know what he's doing. I want to point out, nothing I said so far invites Avodah Zarah. At no point, even if he made a mistake, which he did, trying to do the Katoris, it doesn't say worship idols or anything like that. His whole life, as far as we know, he was a from guy in the sense that he just worshipped one God, and he did the, the Jewish system. He had nothing to do with the, with the Avodah Zarah. But he um, t- assumed roles he was not qualified to assume, and therefore he, he, he paid the uh, penalty. Now, uh, this leads to the obvious question. Satako, how come the <laughs> how come the tribes didn't get together? And those what what was the chisarin that was blocking things that made Uzia so um which I say desperate, anxious, uh dissatisfied with the status quo that he wanted instead to take over, thought he could do a better job. What do we know about this period in general, the period of the kings in Jewish history? This is a very interesting era because the book of Malachim and Divriyam are written with a very specific point of view. Either the guy was a worshiper of idols or he's a worshiper of Hashem. No, it's all about carbonus and monotheism versus polytheism. But my friends, there's a lot more <laughs> to life than just the question of monotheism and polytheism. You could be a noble Bershusa Torah, couldn't you? We have plenty of people around us that they wear tefillin and put everything else. They cheat in business, they're bad to each other. You know what I mean. It is what it is. Uh, it gets worse, <laughs> if anything. There's plenty of that. And uh, especially in business, oh my goodness. Uh, now, I'm not talking about Baltimore, of course. This doesn't happen in this community, but I'm talking about other communities. Anyhow, um, we know from the prophets who start writing, and their books are preserved from this time. Yeshayahu, the Treyos are people, Hoshe, Yolo, Misavad, Yonah, Micha, all these people. They, they really start at the time of Uzio. You look it up, you'll see. It's like the very beginning of Yeshayahu. And what they say is, yes, Perhaps there was an absence of official idolatry, but you had terrible social injustice. You had unbridled capitalism in which, yeah, the Torah has certain limitations on economic exploitation, but they didn't listen to them. And I'll give an example. You can't charge rabbis, you know. Here's another one. Uh, a Hebrew slave can only be for his maximum of six years, no matter how much money he owes. Uh, you know, Yovel, obviously. You know, things like that. Uh, they weren't observed. And uh, if you read Yeshayo, for example, and some other people, uh, almost, I'm sure they're talking about the North, but I think Micha, if I remember correctly, is talking about the South. You see uh, terrible business. You know, the courts sided with the rich. Justice wasn't being administered properly. Uh, you know, uh, since the there was no, the laws of interest weren't being enforced. They end up with Shylock situations where People obviously can't pay high interest, therefore they're reduced to selling everything and have ultimately themselves. And so you, your wife, your daughter become somebody else's slave, and they don't really let you go after six years. It was it's a bad news. 
Uh, bad news. This is the Haftorah, by the way, that we read on Yom Kippur, which from Yeshayahu, uh, where he's not talking about the ritual stuff. He's talking about the uh, you know the poor and the rich and the and justice and injustice. And for some reason, Uziah, I guess, didn't see it that way. Because that would be the easy answer. How come Hashem isn't uniting all the Jewish people? You say, well, everybody's from, at least the king in the south is from, the king in the north is as good as you'll get. If your sole criterion for determining whether somebody is from or not is, do they worship idols or do they worship one God? Okay, then perhaps you calculate things in one way. But the Rebbe Shalom doesn't calculate things in that way. That's only part of a package deal. In addition to what I just said, has to be that you have to have social justice. You have to have the laws are enforced, protect the poor against the rich. Otherwise, the rich will always stick it to the poor and, and, and turn uh, all of life into a nightmare. It's, you know, the cap- that's the paradox of capitalism. You need capitalism to st- stimulate the hate so hard to make people go and work and come up with new ideas. But if you leave capitalism untouched, it always results with three people owning everything and everybody else living a life of slavery under those three people. And that's kind of counterintuitive because the whole point of the system was to make greater uh, happiness and wealth among the population. So these are existential problems that don't go away. And it's just interesting that we do, uh, this year, Parshish uh, Mitzorah uh, comes out in the Shabbos HaGadol, the dawn of the Jewish people, when these ideas were just beginning, beginning to crystallize. The time of Pesach, the original Passover, the, I mean, the, the focus was on the monotheism versus the polytheism. You understand? I mean, you know, that, that's the story. That's the easy one. That's black and white. Reject the gods of Egypt and embrace the one God. But once Moshe took him to the desert, then he started telling him, no, no, you know, Lotigno, Lotigno, there's, there's more to it than just, you know, Anochi Hashem Elkecho. And I'm sure a lot of people say, like, nobody told me that. I want to go on. If it's just a matter of one God, that's one thing. But if you tell me I can't steal, I can't tell false witness, I mean, you take all the fun out of life. You know, how can, how can, I, how can I make a living? Uh, but that's how it goes. It's a package deal. And uh, therefore, this theme of disunity and unity, but disunity, uh, which was never repaired, underlies a lot of what the uh, leprosy business was all about, the Tsaras. And of course, this being Shabbos Agoro, we all remember the famous end of the Haftar, where it's says, which means, just very interesting to me, that the disunity in the time of the coming of Elio will be a generation gap not a, a, a war among the tribes. It doesn't say, like we do, for example, in the Haftarah of, uh, what is it, Vayigash or something, where it says, take a stick from Yehud and take a stick from Ephraim and put them together. Meaning the problem was disunity among the tribes, like Joseph and the brothers, you know, they all wanted to kill him. Uh, it seems in Mashiach's site, or before that time, the big problem is going to be generation gap, which is why Elio will have to come and, uh, you know, repair the relations, it says. Hey, uh, it's a fair question to ask nowadays. Which is the bigger gap? The uh, the from versus the not from, for example, the generation gap between the older generation and the younger generation. These are existentials. They constantly, um, you know, are, are with us. I just, before I end, I just want to give a shout out to thank my good friend, Dr. Moshe Garden today, who did me a big favor, the dentist, uh, for my family. And uh, I hope he and his family will have a very good Shabbos and enjoyable Pesach. And that goes for the rest of you. And now I got to get off to work. Bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at 
www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.